Welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast. This show features the open-minded musics of two late 40s curmudgeons staring at the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry of American Caesar Enterprises, which, as everybody knows, is the official daguerreotype photographers of Civil War veterans. Uh, There's a lot to unpack there, man. Yeah. First of all, it's, da it's daguerreotypes. I'm going to okay. be pedantic. Sure. Um... No, no, actually, yeah. no, it's Louis Daguerre, so it'd be Daguerreotype. I know it's spelled with an E-O, but the man's I thought it was pronounced, am I wrong? Was it pronounced, I thought it was pronounced Daguerreotypes. Uh, this is one of those words, well, the question is, I've never heard right. of spake. That's, you know, this is one of those spake. things. Spake, That's yeah. not pronounced right either. Yeah. yeah. Spro spro uh, anyway, those those of you who don't know, and this is what's sad, is I think we're losing references in this society with things changing so fast. It's, it's the early it's form really, of photography. This one's okay when you, to lose. When you see photos of like, I guess post Civil War, like you're talking about, but also like, you know, you see the battalion in the, in the middle of the Civil War. It was a daguerreotype. It was a type of type of photography pioneered by yes, a French guy. So, and it was actually, I believe, it was on a piece of metal. It was a tin or some sort yes, of yes, uh, something like that. Yeah, uh, and, and, and you had was, to pose there for like seven days to yeah, get the photo. Seven, yes. In fact, that's why the South lost because they spend all their time posing for daguerreotypes. It was really of easy to shoot them with those rifles because they stuck in one place for a while. That's yeah, they why just it was stood called, there. It's called forever. the lost, the lost cause because of all the, the photography. lost cause. Yeah, photography. Yeah. Photography is what killed the South. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah. anyway, let's let's put that aside. Uh, hello, my name is Noah Tarno. I'm the founder and senior quiz master of the Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show, spectacular. Welcome to our show, folks. We talk about things that are happening, things that are cool, things that are hot, things like, that are like new. daguerreotype photos. Like daguerreotype. I'm going to still say it that way until someone go tells ahead. me sure, I'm wrong. Other than you, you don't have the authority to tell me I'm wrong. You don't have the so, authority to be right in this case, but keep going. That's, yeah. That might be true as well. Uh, so this is, you know what? I'm trying to remember where I first heard of this dude because uh -huh. I added him to our list of potential topics. That's true. He's been there for a couple of weeks now. Was he connected to. See, here's my memory, and this could be faulty. The guy, the TikTok or something influencer who went viral because he, he was giving away like PlayStations at Union Square in New York, and there was a big uh, kerfuffle. I remember that? Case and that. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not recalling yeah. a connection between the two of those guys. I feel like when I first heard about that, I also heard about this comedian. Anyway, but his name popped up this week because he has a new special on the Netflix platform, apparently... Uh, you can get a DVD of his new special sent to you in a red envelope in the mail. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that long ago, my I th friend? I thought you said a news special on Netflix. A news special. This is what. This is where we're going to get the news like, from. In like the Linda Ellerby back in the day. Yes, yeah. a new uh, Ga Garrick Utley uh, is doing a comedy special on, on, on the on the uh, Netflix UHF network. Yes, um, WHT. <laughs> Remember WHT? Yes, Wemeco Home Theater. Yes, I do. You could, if you didn't have cable, you could still get movies at home by a WHT. I begged wow. my parents to get us that because our town didn't have cable. Breaking news, man. Yeah. Anyway, uh, all right. So his name is Matt Reif, Matthew Stephen Reif. He's a standard comedian. He's twenty-eight years old. He was born our junior year of college, Bill. That's true. Yeah, can, we are back fucking old. Yeah. And he's a stand-up comic, and he's gotten hot, and he did a few specials on the Tube of You, and now he's got a Netflix special called Natural Selection. Is that what it's called? Yes, it is. And he's been written about in The Gray Lady, the New York Times. Bill, give us the 12 divided by 311 on Matt Reif. There's a lot of Gray Ladies now who are interested in this topic, speaking of which. Uh, anyway, okay. Yeah. 
So Matt Reif uh, is a 28-year-old comedian, as Noah intimated with his uh, creative mathematics uh, to obscure the actual uh, age. He's originally from uh, Columbus, Ohio, which Noah is the capital of Ohio. I was aware of that. Yeah. So just let, just, that's all you have to say. About yeah, pretty much. That's all I got like, about it. This is like you're in third grade. You got to write a book report on, on Matt Rife. He's from Columbus, Ohio, which is the capital is the ca- and and most populous city of Ohio as well. That's true. Uh, the, uh, the, the Ohio State is in Columbus. Yes, and, and the and the Indians called corn maize. The end. So Matt Rife jumped up in popularity through his deft use of TikTok and other social media venues to proliferate clips of his stand-up act, if you can call it that, I suppose. But first things first, <laughs> Matt Rife. A little preview of what Bill thinks of the Matt work Rife of Matt Rife. Matt Rife was a cast member of a few game-slash-reality space uh, television series over the years, uh, such as a show called Wild and Out, which I've heard of. I guess it was a little bit of a stunty show. I'm not quite sure. I think it was on, on MTV. Uh, on the MTV Televisual uh, VHF Network. Uh, just your rabbit ears it'll come in um, less static if, you, if it's possible so he did that in addition to popping up on Brooklyn Nine-Nine fresh off the boat he did like sort of walk on cameos uh, small bits as a character player I bet but most people will know him from his sharp jawline his pillowy lips his tangled flop of hair his <laughs> swole biceps which have enabled yeah. him to leap over the crowd and become nothing short of a phenomenon by packaging crowd work bits into TikToks which bear the giant pink subtitled textual style of our day and age. He's known for crowd work, you see, uh, and his bits have millions of views on every social media network owing to the punchiness of that comedic form, as well as the algorithm favoring those very same chopped up improvised bits of him interacting with a club crowd. Uh, Rife has released a few hour long specials on YouTube on his own channel, uh, some of which are just simply crowd work, um, from end to end. Uh, the, the one I've, I sampled for the purposes of the show was something called Walking Red Flag, which I think was done in 22, 2022, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I guess the reason why we're talking about this, Noah put this on his radar, um, I know that the, the coincidental thing is that he dropped a Netflix special, a uh, 60-minute-long special called Natural Selection, as you said, which was shot in Washington, D.C. And we know that Netflix has been... Um, it's a meager amount of money for them, but for the comedy world, it's a veritable gold mine, a, a, a you know, Fort Knox of funding, and that they've scooped up a lot of com- – they're doing more comedy specials than Comedy Central used to do those things, but Netflix now owns the space of the 60-minute comedy special. And they have a feeder system of people they're looking at. They're giving opportunities to people who hadn't had big shows. I mean, that's what we talked about Taylor Tomlinson because she had graduated to doing a Netflix special or three by the time we got a hold of her. But that's where these people broke out. Social media gets their attention, but then Netflix is a place where people go to watch comedy. So you can say Matt Reif has sort of come off the bench and he's now in the big leagues. But, I mean, 30 million views on YouTube is already the big leagues as far as anyone's concerned, um, I'm sure. It's just, it was a different form of monetization. Uh, so, no, what did I miss here? You're the one that put this out there on the list. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm curious what you thought of the guy. Well, you know, you didn't flat out say, but you mentioned that he's, he's a good-looking dude. He's a good-looking man. Uh, and there's a New York Times article this week, you know, I, I think pegged to the Netflix special called titled Chiseled Cheekbones and Comic Chops, Why We Don't Like Our Stand-Ups Hunky, written by a former colleague of mine, Jason Zinneman. And um, it's funny because I saw that headline, and as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, I bet it references Matt Reif. And then I, when we were like, oh, we're going to do Matt Reif, and I started watching the special, I made a note to myself, like, make sure to read that article because I'm sure it's relevant. And yes, in the first sentence, he talks about, I mean, the article is pegged to Matt Reif. 
I actually saw Zinnemann wrote on Facebook that it was sort of kind of bifurcated some other comedian who's a handsome man too, and that that got cut out. So I watched the Netflix special, and I went back and watched part of one of the crowd work things, and then I kind of tapped out. Um, well, look, it, it, you kind of imply that he's just some jerk off on social media talking to audiences, and he shouldn't have a stand-up special. But I, I don't think that's true. I think he is a talent. You know, I tried stand-up for three years. I sucked at it. And every time I look at a stand-up, I'm like, if they made it to Netflix, they're probably better than me. And this guy was way better than I was, for sure. He, he understands stand-up. He gets it. He gets the form. He understands the rhythms of a joke. Um, there's a bit he does about um, he's afraid to have kids because uh, if karma is a real thing, he's made fun of a lot of people. So karma's going to take it. And he's like, my kid's probably going to grow up to be a weirdo and have some disease. And he says, you know, the kid's going to say, Daddy, why do I look like this? And I'm going to say, I've made, I've made a lot of people laugh. And so will you. You know, you could say that's mean-spirited, but it's it's a very classic joke setup punchline kind of thing. He knows how to punctuate it. He tells a lot of stories in his stand-up. He knows how to punctuate a story with references. He's making fun of, you know, how women have healing crystals in their bedroom. And he says, it's like you go into their bedroom, you're playing a game of Mancala, which I thought was a, a nice little deep cut. Um, he knows how to punctuate a story with one-liners. He tells this long story about stealing porn from his stepdad. And he doesn't say it was a stepdad until he's like, oh, there was, I dig into the closet. There's a big Bud Light box. He's like, you know what I'm talking about. You all have stepdads. And I thought that was a nice way of revealing that it was a stepdad. By the way, I read his uh, birth father committed suicide when he was yeah. 17 months old. Yeah, so. rough, stu rough stuff there. Yeah, rough stuff. So as beautiful as he is, he's, you know, I'm sure life hasn't been complete, you know, green pies and, uh, and, and, and rollicking in the woods with unicorns. Uh, his delivery is confident and and appropriately off the cuff. You see that in his crowd work. You know, he's he's quite good at crowd work. He's good at turning the the pedestrian comments of people in the audience into funny one-liners. His delivery is is confident. He knows how to, you know, say stuff off the cuff. He knows how to respond to the when he's doing the crowd work, respond to the audiences with the funny comments and, and drawing different ideas together. Uh, but all this said, it wasn't enough for me. And I had a lot of trouble getting through the Netflix special. Um, you know, you can't get away from the fact that he is a beautiful, beautiful man. And I think you can be a beautiful, I mean, women are another story. Zinnemann says that, put that aside. But you can be a good looking dude and do stand up, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta puncture it. You know, the Zinnemann story talks about Anthony Jeselnik, who's a good looking guy, realized early in his career that he was too good looking to make it work to be self-effacing so he basically created his stand-up persona as a villain and that's work i mean he doesn't do it for me but i get how that works for him um rife feigns at being self-effacing um you know he apologizes for his jokes about body shaming um but he when he does that he keeps leaning into it in a way that feels gratuitous you know he said something like, i don't want to hurt anyone's feelings but, you know, I, I was pushed into it. You made me say this. Or or he tells this long story about um, posting something on social media about being on a plane and people saying he was rude and a woman got nasty with him and he responded by making calling her fat. And he's like, I know that's wrong. But then he keeps doing it. He keeps leaning into it. He's like, look, you could ignore me, but he, he keeps going. He pushes it farther than he does. And I don't want to say that, look, whatever, this woman was obnoxious and I... 
I don't think it's completely off limits to body shaming or not, even if it's rude and unkind. Like, I don't think those kind of jokes are completely off limits for a professional comedian, but he just keeps pushing at it in a way that feels too little, little, I don't know if incelly is the word, but a little obnoxious, horrid, you know, right wing guy kind of stuff that I don't appreciate. He's walking a line of fuck your feelings and hey, I'm just a, a good guy. I understand everything. And then he gets very self-congratulatory, especially at the end. He really pats himself on the back. Um, I think stand-up is about exposing yourself. There's a term I read once, abjecting yourself, putting yourself up there and opening a wound. And I don't think he really gets it. He, um, you know, he thinks exposing yourself is talking in gross terms about jerking off. And I think that's a dumb guy's idea of exposing yourself. I don't think that's exposing yourself for a stand-up character like him. Um, you know, that, that Times article really opened my eyes to something. Zinnemann quotes a Conan O'Brien writer who, I, I didn't catch the name. Andres Duboucher. Okay, well, if you say so. Who, was, who wrote a thing making fun of our buddy, Jimmy Fallon, and he termed Fallon's comedy, and I think this could apply to Matt Reif, which is why Jason Zimmerman brought up, as prom king comedy. So that writer said, that's what I call all this shit. You've let the popular kids appropriate the very art form that helped you deal. And I think that's why we hate Jimmy Fallon. I mean, partly. There's other reasons. But, and why, as much as I think Matt Reif is talented and I don't really have a problem with him, partly why I'm never, ever going to be a fan is because, you know, beautiful people aren't supposed to be fun. Funny is for the outsider. Funny is for the misfit. Funny is how the loser gets, you know, gets their foot in the door or gets confidence or gets girls or whatever. Um, so here's Zinnemann's quote. He ends his article with this. Resentment toward hot men is both unfair and understandable. Beauty is not the enemy of humor, but it is a rival. People always say that what they want most in a potential partner is a sense of humor. But who believes? Them? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's very true. Um, you know, I think... I think Matt Reif is, a, so to sum it up, I think he's a talented guy. I think he knows the story, but he's just not that good in my opinion. And I think the beauty has lifted him to a certain level where he doesn't deserve to be. And I guess I resent it a little, but more than that, I'm just not entertained. There you go. Yeah, I think you did a really good job. I'm glad you mentioned the prom king comedy. Uh, Thank because you. Because I know that Dubuchet took a lot of shit. He pulled the, I mean, it was more ahead to the fact that he was an emissary of the Conan O'Brien show at the time. So he, he was forced to pull those tweets down out of a sense of propriety of one comedian not beating up on another, or at least the emissaries mm -hmm. of one comedian not beating up on the other. But I think the argument still stands, and yeah, Zinnemann made it, and I think I think it, it does apply here. It was worth dredging up. Um Two, two points before I, I one, one of them was is the, the fact that I, I never watched these shorts before the kind of like comedy spat up reconstituted chewed up bits and pieces that are that are built for Instagram and TikTok where everything is captioned the idea that the comedy is that the tech, the comedy bits are going to run in your timeline without you listening to it so everything you can read the jokes as somebody's saying them on yes. a quiet phone when you're in somewhere in mm -hmm. public and, you know, the, the entire Red Flag special was done in this fashion. Every single line yes. had gigantic subtitles, big yellow. Yes. And the thing is, it's like the, the profanity, even though the show is larded with profanity, he still, they, they captioned things with the word yes. segs, S-E-G-G-S, -S, yes. and shid, and fug. Yeah. 
And and talking about coming, it was C asterisk M. Like what? And it's like I, you know, what they're covering. It's this sense of this idea of censorship, where people are really going back and patrolling their language. It's not enough that we can't show naked breasts anymore, or or talk about you know showing penises and dongs and having a really anti-sex type puritanical culture amongst kids. But the idea that these social media mandarins that you know your thing will be either demonetized or the, or the algorithm won't favor it. Unless yeah. you keep profanity out of it in the first few minutes. So, you know, if you're going to write something. Mean, sex counts as profanity? Yeah. Sex is, oh, jeez. You'll get downlisted or, you know, you'll get demarcated as being something oh, that we unsavory. Yeah, it's best for Such idiots. Also, what really bothered me about the Netflix show is that this guy from Columbus, Ohio, really engages in black scent oh I mean, my god yes he's thought, got a very black patois i thought for we a white were, guy yeah i thought oh, we yeah. were finished with this and i mean i did no one called yeah. him out on this at all it's like i was really surprised that he was able to get away with this shit that he i keeps, think it's natural to a lot of white guys his age but he he was pushing it a little far i mean it's, it's he, my he, point of view he would yeah. describe he would go all y'all motherfuckers is when he would yeah. just essentially the it was y'all your motherfuckers my dog it, it was like a lot of yeah. Just really basic shit. Felt very calculated too. Felt yeah. very yeah. Well, I just was saying a guy from Columbus. I don't think he got that kind of clout. I don't think I he don't could... know about that. Columbus has plenty of uh, no African American people. Like I, I don't think he's from the African American corner of Columbus. Is what I'm yeah, but saying. he might have gone to school with a ton of black people. They might have been half his best friends or, growing up. Or like a lot of people, he's just co-opting the vernacular, like you say, the patois. All right. I for mean, but I think I, I'm sorry. I'm going to defend him here. I think a lot of white people, quote unquote, co-op that, come by it naturally. I think he's a little and mannered in it. A lot come by it don't. naturally because they grow up in that milieu or they listen to that music, even if they don't hang out with black people, you know. So anyway. I, what I wanted to do was look back at the first impression I had with this guy, which was a short that went viral of him at a stand-up club in Iowa. And he was doing crowd work with an older lady, well, older than him. She's 45, younger than us. And it was a really flirty, saucy uh, back and forth where she gave him cookies and it looked like she definitely was flirting with the guy on stage and most of his essentially his act at that point was crowd work so it was about eight minutes of her giving him the phone and and she he went through her face and he facetimed her daughter from the stage and they were doing this saucy <laughs> you know they were talking about should we fuck and maybe go back to a hotel room is your Jesus. daughter available too and it's all this stuff and i there's the thing i remember at the time thinking boy this kid's really nimble this kid is able to yeah. uh you know I thought he was a clever guy who was who was nimble on his toes. He was definitely reliant on baby face charm, uh, and also, like you say, no, with a sort of young, dumb, and full of cum persona that is his act. Well, I didn't use that phrase. Well, but that's that is what he, he's selling on the idea that it's like I yeah. came here to fuck, you know, and it's like yeah, it's like yeah. what, keep your keep your moms and your really like toned sixty year old grandmas. You know, in the barn because I'm on the prowl tonight. You know, like the chi the, the fox is in the in the hen house for sure. Jeez. You know, it's it's like the thing is though. But after watching 60 minutes of constructed material, you know, the Netflix thing was a format change for him. Not that he hasn't come up with material, but the reason why anybody knows him is because of these bits and pieces, these reconstituted TikTok bite-sized, heavily captioned bits of crowd work that were picked for dynamism you know the algorithm essentially would put them forward to you the whole thing is really dead on its feet it's filled with um you know it's filled with so many so much cliche i mean i i, I think if anything it exposed this idea that he has not had to work hard at his craft i think what you see is 
60 minutes of a guy who thinks, boy, how come everyone does the become a comedian? Look how simple this is. You know, you, <laughs> you go to the gym and it's like all of a sudden, you know, over the course of two years, I become one of the leading lights in comedy and people just throwing, you know, a fire hose of cash, uh, a cash at me. And he's got cliched material. He's got a level of self-absorption. Again, to harken back to what you said. He, he, he wants to make you think he's in on the joke. I think but he's really in love with himself as much as uh, Kate Beckinsale is, you know. And, you you know, the, the, you, they never, Zinneman made a point, I think it was Zinneman that said, they never make, they never put a reflex cut back to the, you never see the reaction shots of the audience. Yeah. You just hear uh, yeah. a, 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 an adoring crowd of young women and, you know, the, the clapter and the clapping and the laughter is way out of scale with the level of the jokes. But you do yep. get the impression from the voices you hear that is a predominantly female audience. And I'm going to, I'm going to venture beyond that because I've seen the audience in the stand-up bits. It's a predominantly Caucasian female audience. Yeah. Ma well, you see, no, his, his crowd work shows, you see the audience. Okay. Yes. Like, those, but you're, to be clear, the Netflix special, you don't Correct. see the audience. Correct. Yes. Yeah. It's like you can tell who the audience is. You can tell where the cheap seats are. You can tell how he's yes. playing to them, I think. Thank you so much. What's your name? Christina, you are so hot. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. You're a grandma? You know why? Why is he caught on? Why is he popular? List list the obvious reasons, and maybe give us some non-obvious. Uh, well, no, there's there's an obvious reason which I think is paramount to everything, and and essentially all the sort of um, flowchart reasons that stem out of this. It's easy to explain. Look, the algorithm, the algorithm, it, it, it absolutely propelled him. It has a few other people. Uh, but I went through a rabbit hole. I wound up looking more at other comedians and what the state of people thought comedy was now. In, in so much as I did research on Matt Reif, I also saw a lot of comedians who were fretting over what um, TikTok is doing. And there was there was a tweet mm -hmm. from Josh Gondelman. You're familiar with Josh Gondelman? He's a guy back in New York. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, Gondelman is a TV guy. I know the name. I feel like I met him once, maybe. Yeah, you probably know. did. Gond and Gondelman was doing probably. social media for Dazes and Marrow. He was their, he was right. their Twitter yes. account guy. Yes, yes. I remember uh, this. And Gondelman, thing. I think Gondelman might have done Seinfeld 2000. Uh, he had his own thing. He's really solid. But Gondelman, this is a year ago, he tweeted, he goes, isn't it ironic that um, um, the uh, aggregators are essentially demanding that comedians build 60 minutes to do a full set. They, they're demanding a concert, essentially, an hour long of material. Meanwhile, social media and every single thing of that ilk is demanding that artists chop things up into less than three minutes. Like, there's this, there's this completely uh, schizophrenic pull over what comedians should do to increase their career. Should you go out and write an hour long or should you just focus all your attention and your arsenal on making these killer TikTok things? And it's like... He won the TikTok game. He, he, his, his little bits and pieces of crowd work. They, you know, you can say crowd work is easily chop upable into little bite-sized corn kernels that you can make a TikToks out of them. And then the the algorithm pushed him, and he got traction because of that too. You know, so what that meant that is that in he then doubled down on crowd work because that was the key to his success. It's like crowd work was the thing. And you know, if I don't need to tell you guys what crowd work is, crowd work is unwritten, spontaneous. Yeah. Impro improvised free association work with the people in the audience. You're having a conversation with audience members and, and turning their responses into jokes. And, and so, yeah. yeah. And so, sometimes it's handling hecklers, which I think is, a, is the business yeah. of every comedian. You gotta learn how to handle hecklers. But in other cases, it's like, hey, what do you guys do? What do you do for work? Huh? You, are you, are you, where are you guys from? 
Yeah. You know, and it's like, uh, it's the reliance on the fact of not having written material and just sort of dancing a little bit, tap dancing in the spotlight. Um, you know, and that's, it's, TikTok was responsible for this guy. And then you build in the fact that he is just, you know, he looks so, you know, tropey middle class. He's got a male model appearance. Look, uh-huh. Those are all great things. If you know how to use them, if you know how to like great them, things, great yeah. great things. If you know how to make it work a little bit, you can you can sort of play games with all these bits and pieces. It's grist for comedy, like you say. You can turn just being absolutely beautiful on it, and and you can make that work for you. You know, you can the audience is some people. You can make it so that they're not all angry with you or jealous that you look so good. Or yeah, you know, Taylor. We didn't come away from Taylor Tomlinson thinking, boy, here's a beautiful woman who's relying on this crutch. Taylor Tomlinson's a woman who knows she looks great and her comedy mm-hmm. is great. And, you know, she put together an hour. Granted, there were dips and, and, you know, those sort of things. But it was, you know, she's got a lot of practice and she has got a lot of muscles to flex on stage. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like I, I get the impression that he doesn't really have any inkling of what to do with this power at this age. You know, in 28, I don't know, again, whatever you say he started, 28. It's like there's a lot of high-profile comedians' careers were already well underway by 28. They're, they're genius. Yeah. They're, either their genius was evident or their sort of craft was evident. Yeah. And you can tell but, that... But, but how many of those were in a completely ex- different world, man? Exactly, exactly. Comedy-wise. But it's like... I, I mean, I, when was Eddie Murphy out there wearing the leather leather suit ah, see, playing on his set? He was that, probably 23 at the time. I had that note, maybe 23, 24. I had that note because yeah. Eddie Murphy... By the time he's up there in the leather jacket doing Delirious from yeah. Raw, Eddie Murphy had already changed comedy on TV. Eddie Murphy had yeah. already done a few seasons. And he was like 21 on SNL exactly. when he blew the doors off that thing. So that's yeah. the thing is like, you know, they, these guys like, remember, I don't want to go on and on. I'm, I'm, pick, I'm picking for some reason, I'm picking black comedians, African, right? Like Pryor and, and, and Chappelle. But it's like some of these guys who were the best of their age who changed, you know, I'm thinking about what they were doing at 28 and how they changed their comedy and became the future of comedy in each case. You know, Pryor at the age of 28, was still doing Merv Griffin. He was dressed in a suit. He was, like, guest hosting yeah, for Merv Griffin. Probably. And then he dropped out of the game in 69 because he was so... Uh, he just he was an impasse, and he had a panic. He went away and from two he years had a drug to, problem. And, well, he never went away. But he went to San yeah. Francisco, took off two years, came back, and was the Richard Pryor we know once yes. he took this sort of unofficial sabbatical. And same thing with yeah. Chappelle. Had many different convolutions of what he did. Like, and this guy's... He, it's a, he, he doesn't have to be the next... Any one of those guys or... Or, or comedians it's just that i don't really see what infant like what his career is going to be different i mean he he says he idolized like ricky gervais as stand-up and it's like ricky yeah. gervais has been doing the same exact stand-up routine for about 15 years now he's like there's no reason yeah. to change it if it works there's no reason to grow yeah. because you're not getting well, any ricky, feedback well maybe what matt raff will do which i give ricky gervais credit for is ricky gervais is a good actor and ricky gervais i mean i don't have much use for a stand-up but between the original office and what was that show afterlife the show yeah. about his wife being dead yeah like i think that's a guy whose whose true talents are in you and know he, playing and a role he still insists on doing stand up and no one asks for it you know right well i feel the same way about his and sorry you know how much i hate a stand up but i think i liked his tv show anyway um yeah i mean i think everything you said is 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 accurate why is he popular he's got the chops more or less you know i, I mean i one of the things I always praise about comedy, especially stand-up, is that I think more than most art forms, it really is a meritocracy. Like you don't get to the top, you don't really get success unless you have some real, real talents with with few exceptions. And I don't think Matt Reif is an exception. I think he knows the craft. 
Um, and good and bad. Like you talk about, I mean, you understand this shit more than me, but like knowing the algorithm with like how to make something go viral on yeah, TikTok. I, I think this guy, his con is a little gerrymandered, you know, it's like this. this okay. Li- all right. Fair yeah. enough. But, but credit where credit's due. If that's the way it works and you want to get ahead, that's something I complete, regardless of how good my material or my delivery was. And I think it, you know, could have improved to high quality. If I really put in the time and effort, I had no facility for playing the game back then, which was completely different than the game is now. Um, I will say this, though. Red flag, the fake laughter drove me up the fucking wall. But that probably helped with the algorithm. So good on him that he gets that. Um, But I think a lot of it is just beauty is king. He's a beautiful man. And I think, you know, that really takes you far in life. I don't, I mean, Pete, there was that joke in, remember in 30 Rock, the recurring role that John Hamm played? Our life was so easy for him because he was so beautiful. Um, I just think that, you know, if Matt Reif looked like you or me with all these skills, like he might be doing okay, but I don't think he'd be, you know, the, the, the talk of the comedy world now. Being a pretty man, being pretty anything, really, really takes you far. What might be some red flags for a guy? You say flip flops everywhere? Well, you don't fuck with the beach? Beach is fine, but why are your dogs out at a restaurant? Your dogs out at a restaurant. Wow, hates dogs, everybody. Noah, tell us, would you have liked uh, Matt Riffay as a kid? No, not at all. I would have hated him. And I tell you, if he had come out when I was doing stand up, I would have really fucking hated him. But a lot of that would have been jealousy, which we'll get to. Uh, you know who's a comparison is uh, Dane Cook. Remember ah, Dane Cook? Yes, I, that's, I have that he's, written as a cop, yes. Right, what is he doing now? Is he, does he still do stand-up? Yeah, and he makes, I'm sure he made, I don't know, what does he do now? He's like fucking married to a 22-year-old woman is what he's doing. Disgusting. Yeah. So Dane Cook is three years older than us. So Dane Cook was among the biggest stand-ups, I guess, in the first decade of the 21st century, right? Yeah. Really, really big. And he was totally bro comedy. I mean, I don't think his material was that toxic. You know, he wasn't like at a dice level or even a Louis C.K. post, you know, sexual harassment level. But he was just so fratty bro-y and he drove a lot of, you know, comics I knew insane. The bit I most remember about him, he was very high energy as he talks about like who invented giving someone the finger and he's like, like, what are some other random things? Like, you know what? Suck my back, man. And he, like, pulled his shirt off, and he's high energy running around, and people loved it. Yeah, it's anti-comedy. But, but he's a good-looking guy. But even looking at a photo of him now, he is a good-looking guy, but he still has the kind of smart-ass comedy look to him. Like, he looks a little uh, he looks a little ethnic. Could be Irish, could be Jewish. I mean, I guess he's Irish, right? He's Irish, yeah. Um, so even, even compared, compared to Matt Reif, he looks like a dweeb, right? But especially for those days, he was he was definitely he was on the cute end of standups, right? And he was toned, you know, he ripped his shirt off and his chest looked good and all that. So Matt Reif is pushing it even farther. So I, I hated Dane Cook. You know, I thought no matter how quote, good this guy is, he should not be selling out Madison Square Garden. And granted, Matt Reif isn't selling out Madison Square Garden, but you know, give him a year, maybe. He'll sell out the sphere. Um, Right, you sell off the sphere. Right, his fa- the sphere will just be his face, his yeah. beautiful face. Uh, no, I hate him. I just it, I, it, it would be a stew of jealousy and sour grapes, and you don't deserve this success, and you know, blah 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 blah. So if I, I, I'm as much as I have no use for him now, I'd really have no use for him if I if 
he had come along when I was in my 20s. It's uh, hard It's hard to say because I don't recall there being a lot of alpha comedians back in the day. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, a lot of what we all laughed at for centuries was like, you know, going back to what you said at the top of the show, the sort of a dispossessed person punching upwards at power structures of beauty and capitalism and fame. You know, the things that bar most people entry. And, you know, it's... I think it's plain to say that this uh, this lad has the same issues as, as John Hamm and Margot Robbie. And again, to bring up John Hamm, like you said in that Thirty Rock bit, um, that's a comp I wrote down here. My notes too, as coincidence, is that you know when you're objectively gorgeous, you're kind of not going to be told the word no as often as, yeah. as many other people. And it's not that you don't hear the word no; it's just that there is a bubble that you live inside of. It's you know it is it is the privilege of the privilege of beauty that you have. Mm-hmm. And pretty privilege, I've heard. Called. Pretty privilege, exactly. And yeah. I just, I feel like there's something inherently uncomedic or unfunny about that, as the soil in which you're going to grow. Um, you know, is you're going to grow. And and yeah, to go back to the thing about you know, uh, Zinnemann wrote about Bill. Hicks. I think Zinnemann wrote about Bill Hicks. Talk about the comedians that we liked growing up. You know, who were the 28 year olds? when we were teenagers looking at comedy and they looked like weird fucking guys guys like Dave mm-hmm. Attell people who looked like they slept in a sewer you know what I mean my favorite at that age not a stand up was Mike Myers yeah. and Mike Myers is a reasonably okay looking guy but no one would call him a beautiful man a fashion plate that no, kind was, of thing he, was, he, looked he looked like boyish. just an average guy who, he, yeah boyish go to high school with. Yeah. yeah that's the thing it's like, but then the comedians you were at least able comedians were supposed to have this look that they you know they, they slept you know, on, a, on a bed of nails it's not a life when a girl has when it's, it's, it's three girls all with their asses to the camera you don't know whose profile it actually is this is the bro- which which one are you in this one? Middle, left, right? The left. The left. Oh my God. It's the least good at us. Uh, is the success of Matt Reif in any way a sign of the apocalypse? Uh, I'm inclined to say no, just because we've already been dealing with the pulcritization of comedy. Uh, at this point, good it's kind word. Of, thank good you. word. It's, it's kind of an old topic. Um, not that it's it's not a fresh topic in in the world of comedy, but we've already broken this ground. You know, the, the, we've already had the, the golden shovels and the little uh, ribbon that you cut with the big scissors. We've already you know inaugurated where this giant building is going to be built. So we got a couple of decades already under our belt in terms of like hammering. The women came first, and this is this is this was an yes. ugly thing that we had to look at. Is that you know Sarah Silverman got hammered, Whitney Cummings got hammered. I'm saying they were being hammered. They didn't get drunk hammered, but. They, they took a lot of slams from people who were trying to gamergate them and, you know, shame them and yeah. say that their job was easier than other people because, uh, you know, Whitney Cummings gets to come up there and talk about tits and cocks and and her act will sell better because it comes out of a beautiful woman's mouth. You know, and Sarah, Sarah Silverman was, you know, accused of saying racist things for years, but she sort of had a you know, her girlish little face and her kind of a squeaky, you know, voice was supposed to sell this stuff over the top that a guy couldn't have gotten away with it. Um, yeah, you know, pretty girls talking dirty was what they would say. You know, that's an easy yeah. sell. But it's, so it's like we're, we're looking at a, a little bit of a male version of this wave that's incoming now. I mean, I'm sure it's been here for a while, but we can't get away from it where this is exactly what's happening. Where these men, this man, and, and people of his ilk are just exactly as beautiful as a comedian has sort of ever been. And it's not to say there haven't been unpleasant looking comedians. But in some ways, and I don't know if it was Zinneman's article or, but they were they were trying to, people were trying to bring the idea of beauty into comedy, in a way that hadn't been there before. And he mentioned Chris Rock did a piece with the I think it was Hollywood Reporter, 
last year, two years ago, when he was doing Fargo, where Chris Rock was photographed topless, showing mm-hmm. his, uh, he, you know, he went on like huge Pilates thing, and he had ripped six packs. And people were writing yeah. about Jerry Seinfeld saying, "Hate to break it to you, but the news is that Jerry Seinfeld is hot." Oh, and it's God. like this, this is right. such a, this is such a strange way of regarding comedy, where now you had you've had this beauty impulse. This idea that casting directors say everyone has to look gorgeous that appears in popular culture, well, it stretches down to comedy as well. You know, and it's like women took the brunt of this first, and now men are, and it's like, it's not slowing his role. And if anything, it's, but it's like, this is not part of the apocalypse because this is a topic that would have blown up comedy in like circa 2006, some Comedy Central rules, but we're, we're dealing with it okay anyway. I mean, if I hear you right, you know, everyone in show business has to be beautiful. Comedy was an exception, but now it's trickling down to comedy. But what you're saying, that's not a problem. I think it is a problem. Well, I'm saying that, well, it is a problem. But the thing is, comedy is hardy enough. It's sturdy enough to be able to withstand this that you still, uh, I see. yeah, comedy is not going to buckle and fall apart. And, you know, because this guy is still going to be not funny, but we're still going to find comedians <laughs> who are funny. And they, they, the, yeah. The, the, the homely looking people who are funny will still be successful. Will still because the cream rises to the top. Yes. Correct. Well, look, and I will say this, that even though he's quote unquote not funny, I give him a lot of credit. He's very skilled. And as much as I found the special not entertaining, it had its moments. It wasn't the that's way worse comedy than this. And, you know, we, we referenced Taylor Tomlinson, who I think is brilliant. And I've since seen in person. And I think is a very good looking woman. And she was just picked up to uh, host uh, the post. Good, because I think I think she's fucking hilarious. So I guess that's a good thing there is like even, you know, and I thought Whitney Cummings was reasonably funny. And oh, my God, Natasha Leggero, who, my God, is the most beautiful one I've ever seen in my life, is hysterical. Nikki Glaser just goes down the line. Uh, Nikki Glaser's OK looking. I'm sorry. Nicole, like, all Nicole the but Nikki Glaser is great. Very yeah. talented. Says she was a very funny. A shitload of comedians right now. Yes, exactly. I guess the point is, even the beautiful people to make it this far still have to be really, really, really good. Uh, I'm going to say this is a sign of the apocalypse, and here's why. You can say comedy can withstand it, but I don't know if society can, because I I said before about you know prom king comedy that the one I, I like the way that that writer phrased it like the one the one thing one of the few things we use to cope comedy has now been co-opted by the prom kings and you know that writer whatever his name is andre du Dubuchet. yeah Dubuchet. i've heard of that guy i've never he was, he was, a, he was an art star or adjunct art star guy yeah yeah i i probably met him at some point anyway um you know, I don't see people in the comedy world flipping out about this shit, but I'm reminded of Gamergate. Remember Gamergate? Yes, I do. I and was one, of, I was one of the proponents of, of the forum. Yeah, sure you were. Uh, and you still see a lot of this in the video game world. Is this is this gatekeeping that is nasty and in some cases violent. There's a woman who is a very minor uh, um blogger and she's a cute girl she works at a comic book store i mean this might be years ago and she actually got death threats because she was like you don't have a right to blah blah and she was like talk i i was briefly friends with her boyfriend and he told me like they literally talked to police officers about this and you see a lot of real nasty stuff coming from those corners the video game world the video game we don't want the the pretty girls in our world we don't want the cute guys in our i mean it's more pretty girls because they're absolutely toxic and they look at women as you know, victims and targets. And, you know, it's because it's a sour grapes thing because these guys are fucking toxic losers. So they can't get laid and they're horny all the time. So they're mad when pretty girls invade their world. 
So I really like that. I really think that's very wise, this idea of this is the thing we use to cope with feeling like we're on the outside of this world we want to get in. And when it's co-opted, it makes us mad. Now, I'm not seeing comedians turn that anger into anything worse than bitching and moaning, which is fine. When you're a comedian, it's expected. And it's natural and normal. Like, worse, it's annoying. But I really worry that if we keep going down this road of appropriating the misfit stuff, if the cool kid's appropriating the misfit stuff, I think that's what is pushing our society into too much toxic gatekeeping. How, how old are you? 68. 68. And what is your name? Sandy. Sandy? Like from Greece. <laughs> Give me a sign. What's the sign say? Waited a year to see Matt Reif, had eye surgery, and now I can't see shit. <laughs> All right, Noah, let's begin by talking about jealousy to close this thing Begin? Out. Let's yeah. end. Let's end by talking. Let's, yeah. begin, let's begin the end. Let's end the beginning uh -huh. by talking about jealousy. How does it's, it's uh, end the beginning of the end. Us? It's only the end of the beginning, but it's the beginning of the end of the beginning. Uh... Right. I'm obviously really jealous of this guy. I'm jealous of how cute he is. I'm jealous how he must be. I mean, he even referenced it. He's like, I'm having a lot of fun now. He must be, you know, he's 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 got hot. What's what, There's an old term for like a guy in an office picking up women, hot and cold running secretaries. Oh, I know. Isn't I that both that. awesome and terrible at the yeah. same time? Oh, the 50s or 60s. Whatever. The 50s. I tell you, it was great. Although Mad Men really made me understand the backlash to feminism because it, those guys had it made, man. Yeah, sure. Those guys had it made. There was, there was no language for that until you said, oh, you can't do this. I know. What? What do you mean and, I can't do this? Yeah, exactly. They they had the life, the wife at home taking care of everything, and then they could fuck secretaries on the side. And they barely had to work, and they got all the money in the world. It was awesome for them. But, you know, nothing lasts forever, my friends. Uh, so I'm jealous of his beauty. I'll tell you a story. I know a guy, actually, I think he looks like Matt Reif, and uh, you know him, but I'm not going to name names, and uh, I work with him. And he's a very, very beautiful man. He's done very well with women. And I'm having a meal with him once, and we're getting to know each other, and he, he asks me, do you have a girlfriend? I'm like, no. He's like, what kind of women do you like? Blah, blah, blah. And I say how I thought our waitress was attractive. Now, I'm a, at the time, I'm 40. This guy's around 40. The waitress is probably 23, whatever, you know? And so she comes by and she's like, what's your name? Blah, blah, blah. Let me introduce you to my friend. So he starts like trying to set me up with her. She doesn't give a shit. Even apart from the fact that she was working, like I'm not the kind of 40 year old guy that 23 year old. This is what Vince Vaughn did in Swingers at the, when they went to Vegas in the beginning. Yeah. This is the guy behind, behind the guy. The guy behind. <laughs> and I really, and I was embarrassed and she was like, I don't give a shit. But I really kind of look at it from this guy's point of view. It's like, look, he's a good looking dude. He's smooth. Like if he sees a woman in public who he thinks is attractive and he's a good guy, I don't think he's toxic in that way. He's going to say something because you know what? Maybe. Why not? Right? Like he's a smart enough guy to know odds are nothing will happen, but like something might happen. Whereas guys like you and me, nothing's going to happen. Right. And, it, and th there's no way I get that waitress. Right. Get that waitress. There's no way I have a drink with that waitress. Right. Anything um, other than mortify that waitress. It's true. Right. I am I am jealous of guys who go through life like that because in some respect life's easier. Now there are problems with that, but you know, I'm balanced. I think life's a lot easier for those guys. So I'm jealous of Matt Rife's beauty. I'm also jealous of this. Like he made several those YouTube specials are self-produced. And I in my stand-up career, and even since then in my, you know, game show performance career, I've tried a lot of stuff on my own. 
And I never really got it off the ground. None of those things, you know, I kept looking for the silver bullet that would, you know, even before the term going viral was really a thing. Like there I was thought a, would get a formula to this and he found that formula. You're right. right. I, something that would be too big or too unique. I know there's a grammatical problem saying too unique, too big or too unusual niche. Yeah, too niche. to ignore. Right. No, not too niche, too, too big, too exciting to ignore. I came up with all sorts of wacky ideas like that, and they basically all got ignored. I mean, I did okay, but none of those things achieved what I set out to achieve. You know, get me the article in the New York Times like that. So I'm jealous that he made it work. And you know what? He was smarter. He he understood the algorithm in a way I never did, never wanted to engage with, and still don't want to engage with. My attitude is like, I want to put my head down and do the work and, you know, have the world come to me. And the world doesn't work that way. And uh, I'm jealous that he's got those skills and that, and he's a hard worker. You know, again, I know we don't like him as a comedian, but like, he's not nothing. So I'm jealous of, of, of what he's got. He was built by the ancient gods of the Norse Aesir for the sole purpose of making mortal <laughs> men jealous. All right, Noah, so let's, let's go. Speaking of uh, prom king comedy, let's go to the, yes. the, the promised of prom kings, the guy who hosted yes. the Enchantment yes. under, the, under the Sea dance and Back to the Future. Yes. James Franciscus sea. Aloysius Falonowitz. Uh, 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 Falonowski. So where does he fall? Falona Blatt. Where does he fall on... uh, A Falonian scale? Well, I went back... Aquinas uh, Fallon. I did appreciate that this... I mean, this topic can really help me understand, and I I would guess you understand why we hate Jimmy Fallon so much. It's a lot of things. He's a company man, but it's that... I mean, Johnny Carson was an asshole too, so I guess The Tonight Show isn't about being a nice guy, but like... Johnny Carson wasn't a professional asshole. You know what I mean? Well, Johnny, Johnny yeah, it's Carson not that was. Jimmy Fallon's an asshole. It's that he's beautiful and that he's mediocre. And and it's, you know, the beautiful, mediocre guy getting The Tonight Show really pisses us off. And yeah, sure. Okay. Um, So I, I'm i going to use, have I ever done this before? I'm going to use Jimmy Fallon in the Fallonian scale. How about that? Wow. So so take Jimmy Fallon, who is, it's like you know. The, the MC Escher fork of the stairs. I know. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. It's, it's. <laughs> Still remember this. Reading an article years ago, probably 20 years ago, and they're like, I Googled the phrase Star Trek, and I was afraid I would be sucked into the internet if I did that. Anyway, uh, so Jimmy Fallon, who, by the way, I I think we have to agree, is no longer, we've looked at things worse than Jimmy Fallon. It's still Ryan's world for you, right? Uh, Yeah, I guess it hasn't really changed so much. Yeah. Anyway, so take Jimmy Fallon, right, who's just still awful, terrible, below zero. Multiply by negative one, right? So now you're really high up, right? Yeah. Now Matt Reif isn't even <laughs> yes. cl- close to that high up. Follow me here. Then you subtract someone. And again, I like to compare like to like. You subtract someone who is pretty good. And I go to Taylor Tomlinson, right? I think Taylor Tomlinson is an excellent stand-up. So now you're only slightly positive. And then you subtract 28.723. And I think that takes you below negative, but not too far below negative. And that's where we find Matt Reif. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's direct and very simple to explain. I very that. clear. Yeah. Incredibly clear. It's like an Ikea furniture manual there. Exactly. So I think of a Zach King or a Troy Sivan, uh, which conjured for me the idea of handsome people whose game is that they're kind of handsome and that other stuff comes after that. But don't really worry. 
you, you, by that point, you bought whatever they sold. I get that those two people <laughs> do other art that made you a little better. But I mean, the thing about Troy Savon and Zach King was that they struck me as beautiful people where the idea that they were beautiful, the idea that they were cute. Uh, you know, it's funny, but the, the Paul Rudd came up, I think it was in Zinneman's article, is to say, oh, it's not like there's never been a, a handsome male comedian before that women have looked at and said, and, you know, that you can do the job adroitly and you're also a bit of a, a sex sensation for your order. Yeah, but the good ones of that poke fun at themselves in a way that Matt Reif does not. No, it's true. It's true. But it's like, that's, again, it's not to say that being beautiful hinders you from your job. It just sets you up for a different set of things. And it's like, I, I'm not shitting on Troy Sivan because Troy Sivan was just in that show uh, the idol, and he did a, he did a decent job. He's got something there, but I think that the idea the idea of being so beautiful that it's what you lead with is like a whole other ball game. It's like it's it's a a world unto itself in terms of popular culture. You know what I mean? All right, Bill. I think we got to wrap this thing up. I think we got to get going here. Uh, Matt Reif. Let me ask you this. Maybe we should add a topic. Like, what do you predict? this topic will be at in five years? Because I, I maybe not, but like for Matt Reif, like where do you think he's going to go? Do you think he's going to be a star in like movies and TV? Do you think he's going to win the Mark Twain? Fucking Kevin Hart is getting the Mark Twain prize. This is wrong. <laughs> and I don't I even want to diss Kevin Hart that bad. I don't think he's that terrible. No, but Matt, Matt, Matt Reif is Mark absolutely, Twain prize. Matt Reif is absolutely going to get movies. Z um, yes. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Judd Apatow is going to make movies with him. Don't worry, he's got with a future. Matt Rife, really? Yeah, okay. I'm just saying it's it, that's likely what's going to happen because he's a commodity. It'll absolutely happen. I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, I'm not worried about it. That's yeah. for sure. But guys, if you'd like to find past episodes where we talk about things that have never gone on to either kind of infamy or in in, in rare occasions, uh, the topic does endure and persist. But the nice thing is, a lot of things we talk about grind dead after we speak about them here. Uh, you can look on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us at Noah and Bill Don't Get It at gmail.com. Give us a review on the aggregates. That's how people find podcasts. Uh, in case this wasn't uh, filled with enough jealousy, loathing, and despise of, of an artist who's accomplished, uh, you can. I do that all the time on Twitter if you want. I'm on Twitter at William Scurry. I'm also on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook. All those places are the same. YouTube.com slash AMCs. You'll see some of the video stuff that I've made. Uh, and now here's Noah. He'll, he'll also natter on about where you can find him. Here I am. And I am also at BigQuizThing.com, where you can learn all about my company, The Big Quiz Thing, America's premier provider of corporate and private live trivia events, both in person and virtual and hybrid. We had a really good hybrid event earlier this week. Uh, and um, I'm getting myself ready for the holiday season, man. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be heavy December, but, you know, I count on that. Uh, but there's still room for your event. Go to bigquizthing.com, get a personal consultation, uh, fill out our pricing calculator tool, take a sample quiz, learn all about how we provide the trivia fun anywhere and everywhere, all the time, every time. Uh, bigquizthing.com. And I've, I've uh, my phone was screwy, so I couldn't post on Instagram for a while, but now I can't. So learn more about me and my wacky world of fun uh, at the Noah Tarno, because there's a couple other Noah Tarnos, N-O-A-H-T-A-R-N-O-W, probably know that, or you can look that up, uh, at the Noah Tarno, and uh, yeah, pictures, they're fun. All right, so until the next episode, we're talking about Matt Reif's stunning Tony-winning turn as the Elephant Man. We don't get it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2023.